Society Show on Cairo Radio. That was my best Dory Monson right there on Cairo Radio. Yes. Yeah. Dory's been gone for six months now, it seems no. like. No. Yeah. R.I.P. Dory. Uh, we're here in the hot stove kitchens that are on the second floor of the beautiful Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle. If you're ever driving by, stop by, take a peek in. Or you can go online, hotstove.com, and see what we do here. We offer classes. We offer private events. So much. Somebody just booked us last night for my Pam, my favorite thing, which is a rehearsal dinner. You know what I hate? You know, when you go to restaurants for a rehearsal dinner, you've never met the people. You sit next to somebody you don't know all night long, and you're just whack, whack, whack. And in here, like, if you book, you can book whatever kind of event you want. I like the dumpling challenge yeah, for the rehearsal hands-on. dinner because then... You get to beat the crap out of the new family. Like, my dumplings are better than your dumplings. And, you know, you get to kind of interact and have that's fun. That's a great way to start a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Fight. Exactly. Fight. I guess that's a family, I guess it's a family tradition. <laughs> no, but you get to interact. It's super fun. Then you sit down and have a meal together. They don't together. have to fight, Tom. They could get it's along and make great... Term of endearment. No, of course. Fight. Yeah. What do they call those fights when they're like a pillow fight? It's oh, like pillow a pillow fight. fight. Oh, yeah. You know, month, uh, dumplings are very fluffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we have a large show for you today. We have an inspiration for Easter lamb. And Pam would like to know, are you going to cook lamb or ham? And you know me, I, I cook both. Uh, I, I do <laughs> ham at brunch and lamb at dinner. So, Big And day. then uh, once in a while, I'll supplement with a little bunny rabbit because it's Easter, for God's yeah, that's sake. That's more my style. Yeah. <laughs> L- lamb and rabbit is more my style. Yeah. Uh, time to visit Home Cake in Maple Leaf for a hard-to-find and delightful baking supplies. And we're going to have a whole segment on supplies today, right? Where to buy some good home They're kind equipment. of different. The, the Home Cake one is very focused on baking. On baking. And then there's another segment on going to restaurant supply stores. Which I think people are a little bit intimidated right. about if they're That's not in the business. But yeah. they're super fun to walk around. Super fun. Caitlin Brom, owner and founder of Yonder Ciders, is going to join us. Which uh, Yonder Ciders, my daughter's favorite cider. No more sawdust turkey, for God's sake, or turkey burgers. With these ingredient additions. Sawdust burger. I'm so curious about well, that. Well, you know, anytime you make a burger out of something that doesn't have much fat, it comes off a little bit dry. Oh, that's what you mean. It's yeah. the same, yeah. yeah. Chefy tools we talked about. And, of course, we're going to finish the show with our Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. Uh, I feel good today. I, I, I might just crush it. Crush the group today. All right. Looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah. You better find a lifeline. You know what? I'll, <laughs> I'll do the same one as I normally do. Okay. Uh, my yep. taste of the week uh, this week is we're, we're menu testing right now this week at the Palace Kitchen for an April Woo! 21st opening. Yay! I'm so excited. And some people will say, menu testing? What do you mean? I want my favorite thing when I go there. And so we took all the favorites, uh, you know, recognized favorites, and started the menu there and then kind of filled in some blanks. The pleans and the wings. Pleans, wings, uh, burgers, uh, rotisserie chicken, you know, things like that. So, uh, anyways, so we're getting excited. Uh, April 21st is the date. Wow, that's coming up soon. Three weeks. Yeah. Boom. Looking forward to that. So, that's my taste of the week is all the different things that we get to play with that are taste memories from the palace kitchen. And a new welcome to the palace kitchen. Yeah, I, exactly. I like For me, I want to talk about the... Uh, James Beard Award nomination, we have five local places nominated for finalists for the James Beard Award. We have Copin for 
outstanding restaurant. Copin is in Ballard over there in your neck of the wood, Tom. I thought they were uh, best chef. No, no, no. Be- outstanding restaurant. Oh, okay. Best chef is Archipelago, which is uh, Chef Aaron Verozosa. That's where Verozosa, my daughter got engaged. And uh, it's a very small restaurant, nine seats if you haven't been, so <clears throat> it's going to be even harder to get in now, but good luck on that. Well, actually, Copin is also a small restaurant, so good luck. And uh, what's the uh, nomination for Fallback? Fallback, the sisters at Fallback got nomination for Outstanding Restaurant as well, I believe. Uh, I, think, I think that is true. And... Um, you know, what an outstanding story for those people. You know, those the sisters s- must be so excited and, and so proud. I, yeah. read, I read a little bit of an article on when she was like, we still don't believe this is actually real because we never thought something like this could happen to us. But it's a very cool story. And, you know, Fallback nominated for Outstanding Restaurant. So it's really cool. There, there should be three more, And right? then, uh, then we have, um, who else do we have? We have Rob Roy, who is nominated for um, Best Best Bar. Yeah. And we have uh, in Pullman, Washington, there's a uh, place called Black Cypress, which is also nominated for Best Restaurant. So that's cool. It's very nice to have five finalists from the state of Washington, and four of them are from Seattle. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, James Beard, like when you look at Anvi down there at Fabak and her sister, you know, I've been eating there for, what, 20-something, 20, 20, more than 25 years. Oh, they're they're in my first book, the original Fabak, which is not— I would say not- more like 40 years, Tom. Uh, I don't think they're that old. I think maybe the parents or a relative had it. Before. I think they're fifty-year-old restaurant. Fabak? Yeah. Oh, maybe so. But my point is, I've been eating there for so long, and um, it wasn't until maybe David Chang came along in New York City where restaurants outside of the fancy restaurants were considered right. best chefs. Right. Whereas when David came along, he was getting it from Mama Fuko, right. which was a noodle restaurant, a ramen restaurant. Yeah, and like it a- kind of opened the floodgates to individual kinds of foods and uh, ethnic chefs, which I is think. Good, which is good. Which is good, exactly. Because if you go to SUP, which is S-U-P, which is their kind of place now, their kind of flagship. Right. I mean, they have more, but it's their flagship. Uh, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I like to sit at the counter there and watch bad TV. And, it's just, and it's just to me, it's very cool to watch restaurant like Fullback getting, you know, getting the awards and getting, you know, recognized as a top restaurant in the country. That's and cool. if you haven't met her, she is about the most charming person ever. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't tell her I said so. She'll get a big head. Anvi, uh, I don't know her sister as well, but uh, Anvi is just. Yeah, and they've got three places, and they got a cocktail place. You know, for seafood. Yeah, right and, down here, right, right down yeah. around the corner. So it's really All right, cool. so let's get rolling. That's our first segment. We got seven more to go. A nostalgic baker's place called Home Cake Decorating Supply Company up there in Wedgwood, which is one of my first places I ever lived in Seattle was Wedgwood. It's the second place, but it's one of my first. Can you have a one of your first? Yeah, maybe. Okay, it's my second place I ever lived. But uh, In the basement live- of a house at 14th and 80. Fourth or something like that. But the store's in Maple Leaf. <laughs> well, so they're right. They're, they're next door to each other. Okay. I think I was in Maple Leaf too. Now that I say that, <laughs> Wedgwood's a little further further east. <laughs> Whatever. Maybe I'm not going to win trivia today. Uh, on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Lady sticks to me like white on rice. She never cooks the same way twice. Maybe it's the mushrooms, maybe the tomatoes. I can't reveal her name, but eggplant is her game. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake, baked a cake, baked a cake. 
Here we are back in the hot stove kitchen on Cairo. Pamela's here today. Sean's on IT. Chef in the chapeau. Hey, oui, Mr. Douglas. We, oui, I'm Tom Douglas, owner of several restaurants around town. I have some great young chefs uh, that are working. Some old chefs, some young chefs that are working hard every day in Mostly our joints. young. It's funny. It's kind of a mix right now. What are you doing these days? I'm just living life, you know, just having a good old time. Having a good old time. How's Lulu doing down at the Lulu's airport? Lulu's doing great at the airport. I'm uh, consulting on that. And uh, the airport is getting busier and busier every week. I went to find it because I came in on D uh, last week. It's on B. No wonder why I couldn't find it. I have never seen it yet. They are ma- What's the big airlines on, on B? Delta? Uh, Southwest and uh, Delta. Oh, that's why I just don't fly those airlines, I guess. So I'm an Alaska guy. Yeah, I know. It's, it's A all the way, right? Oh, N, C. And D. And D. Okay, let's <laughs> talk about uh, a nostalgic baker's paradise. Uh, Pamela, tell me about this. Says, uh, in front of me, I see uh, some eggs that I believe you've made 40 years ago, this very same egg. <laughs> and, I hope these are not the same. And I do know that this kind of sugar does not deteriorate very well unless a moth or something gets into it. So tell me about, if you're watching us on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, you can see the eggs that Pamela has brought in and, and today. Uh, Actually, you here, can. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this to Sean. So anyway, so go, go on YouTube, subscribe. It doesn't cost any money. And, and look at Pam's egg. Th- this is ridiculous. Uh, thank you. And so tell, tell us Wait, wait, wait. This. Hold on. What do you mean it's ridiculous? Why don't you ask what this is all about? What is well, that Well, I never about? envisioned in my mind when Pam retired from our company that this was going to be the end result. <laughs> You I know she's an arts and craftsy kind of person, but okay. So tell us where this came from. I'm going to start from the beginning, okay. which is um, my plea to our audience to support small retail and to try to preserve some culinary traditions. Okay. So last week, uh, shopping at Ballard Market, I was buying some coconut oil, and the cheery checkout person started talking about coconut and said, oh my goodness, I've got to start on my little bunny cakes for my grandchildren. You know, when you take two sheep pins. I, I, I know, you made them for our daughter, daughter many times. Many so, times. Yeah. I'm like, yes, because I, I was brought up as a congregationalist, but I am not practicing an organized religion anymore. Uh-huh. But the Easter holiday... That explains, it explains so much to <laughs> me right now. Uh, a <laughs> desire to support some traditions. Mm-hmm. And one that I don't want to get lost is the panoramic sugar egg. And so I made them a couple of years ago. That's what they're called, yes. panoramic? A panoramic. couple years ago, or 40 years ago. No, I made some for your wife a couple of years ago with deers in them. So, <laughs> um, but the, you know, the, uh, when they were related to the religious celebration, they were usually stuffed with bunnies holding crosses. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I didn't go there. Right. I decided maybe a gnome and a farm scene. A gnome so, and a farm scene. To be able to practice. So you're a heretic, is what you're saying. <laughs> practice this tradition, you need specific tools. Mm-hmm. Right. You need and the molds, right? You need the molds. Yeah. And you need a visit to one of the most charming stores in all of Seattle. Home Cake Decorating Supply up on Roosevelt right. in the 90, Maple Leaf. 9514 Roosevelt. Yes. Yeah. yeah, And it was started in the 60s by uh, two sisters right. 
who turned it over to their daughter, who ran it for a long time. And then about five years ago, the daughter retired, and this engaging man, Dave Hassel, took it over. He ah. used to be a toy designer for Hasbro, and he has a G.I. Joe named after him. And he, the, the ladies who ran the store were very chatty and friendly, but the store was a disaster. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, to find something in that store was, a, was impossible. Wasn't, it was great because you had to look at everything in order to find what you needed. So yeah. you were good. And a lot to buy of it wasn't else. priced, and some of it was a bit dusty. And so it was a real treasure hunt. But Dave has um, a knack for retail. I went there on Tuesday morning when they opened, and I had to wait for three other customers to talk to him before uh, I huh? could get served. But the the reason it's worth the visit... He must not have known who you were. <laughs> he didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> the fame that's about to descend on him yeah. for this radio show talking about him. But the, the, the way he has cleaned up the store is kind of organized by cakes and pies and tarts. There's so much for cookies. He's got the best cookie cutter selection that I've ever seen. Remember, Sir Latab used to have a spectacular one, but uh, their ownership has changed and their inventory has changed. But you you need to go to Home Cake to find something like this. This is where I always go when I was looking for a special little tool of some kind. Yes, I'm so glad you've been there. All the the Rover's years, that's always where I would go. Small tart shell mold, all kind of knick-knack stuff that you could make new design on it on single portions. Yes. I would always go over there, and they had just so many things. I mean, literally, when, when those ladies were in, I mean, you were looking for something. You'd be like, do you have anything like this? And they go, yeah, we do somewhere. <laughs> You're like, oh, my God, this is a I store. Want you, I want you to explain in your, in your obviously youthful enthusiasm about this store, the difference between, I'm sure you could find all this stuff on Amazon. The difference between, but tell us the difference between, the, the energy that you feel like making the trek from Ballard over to Wedgwood or wherever this on Roosevelt and I'm excited the whole time I'm driving. I know it's just just talk about the how much that is important <laughs> to get to a, a small shop in a lovely neighborhood. I hadn't been to Roosevelt in years. Mm-hmm. Um, just to think about the engagement with the owner and talking about a craft that we both admire. Mm-hmm. And they have parking. Which is always useful. Yep, you can park right on the <laughs> right street. It's very it. safe. And to see new things that I didn't know about that existed. So I want to talk about the sugar molds because I think people think it's hard. You need the mold mm-hmm. to make your shape. And it's just a combination of um, granulated sugar, confectionery sugar, into the mold. Let it semi-harden. With what, egg white or water? No, or what? no. With water. With water. Just, okay. just with water. And then you dump it out of the mold and let it harden for a couple of hours, and then you have to scoop it out to make room for your panorama. And then you let it harden overnight to get all the way to firm. Right. And now you've got two halves. So in the bottom half, you're going to set up your panorama scene and then somehow attach the top. I'd... In the past, I'd always done it with royal icing, but I recently read that a glue gun is a lot easier. Because <laughs> um, you're not going to eat it. <laughs> you're not going to eat these because I'm protecting them with my how, life. How do you make the cut in the half dome 
to well, have the- it's uh, thank you for asking because I screwed this up, and which is why it has so much frosting on it. Um, when you're scooping out the center, you're also supposed to take off a little slice for your window. I was going to say, make it thin yeah. because otherwise, I literally, to it's too that. late. I mean, I mean, these are fantastic, Pam. Yeah, I, this is beautiful. I do have to call out the fact that it looks to me like you might have purchased some of the farm animals instead of yes. piping them yourself. Yes, in fact, they are from home cakes. So there are, there are little cheats you can do to make life a little easier. So much faster. Yeah. If yeah. I had to make all of Who's these. piping little but cows? But I want you to go there. I want you to buy a sugar mold and do this with your friends. Please. Uh, yeah, but if we don't, you could, there's a lot of other things you could do too, Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. This is where you're going to find your All right, up next, uh, we're going to make roast lamb with a recipe from Ukrainian chef Olia Hercules. Uh, who drenches bone in like a lamb with an herb paste and preserved lemons. Yum. Yes. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. the Hot Stove Society yes. show on Cairo. Pamela is busy sending her sugar sculptures around the audience. If you want to come and look at Pam's sculptures, you can just buy a ticket at hotstovesociety.com. And it comes with uh, Chef Brigitte's uh, fabulous uh, Spanish breakfast. We took some inspiration. You know, it is Easter weekend. We, I typically have my, the whole family over for brunch on Easter weekend. I make a big ham and I make my famous, I will say infamous... In my own mind. Gravy? No. No, no, no. I make my coffee, chili coffee glaze. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah. See, I told you it was infamous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's famous. It's famous, yes. The only reason you need ham is for that glaze. Yeah. Yeah. It's got uh, blood orange juice and blood orange zest. It's got Kahlua, espresso, brown sugar, sambal olek, you know, the the hot spicy chili paste. And you just uh, reduce it down into a kind of a glaze and... Baste your ham with it and it caramelizes on top. And it's all kind of crunchy. So you just warm up the ham and then you finish it with that? Yeah, you bake it. Yeah, I, I bake it all. Even though they're all cooked already, I still... Right. But I... So one of my tricks with the ham is to take the fat cap off. I buy bone-in whole leg, right? Sure. But you don't want to baste the fat cap that you're going to then trim off. Throw away, yeah. So I take the fat cap off and then I make deep slashes in it, the criss- classic kind of cr- crisscross. Right. And then I baste with that and the... The marinade, you know, mm. goes right into the crevices and blah, blah, blah. But let's talk about lamb. So ham is pretty easy because it's all pre-cooked. You just have to kind of warm it up. Lamb is a little bit more difficult. So, Pam, you picked out. We used this book, if I remember right, uh, a year ago when we did the benefit for Ukraine, which we should do again. We need Things to aren't getting again. any better. No. Right. No. That's why I think it, uh, Bon Appetit was featuring her menu. Uh-huh. Uh, because. To keep it in the forefront of our minds. Yeah. But she, but she is a highly regarded Ukrainian chef. Her name is Olia, O-L-I-A, Hercules. And the, Terry, the French would call it Hercule. 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 I'm not sure what the, how the Ukrainians call it. My guess is it's not Hercules. My guess is not Hercules either. <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, if you're trying to find it online or in a bookstore, uh, it's called Mamushka. Is that an A on the end? Mamushka. And it's a, it's a delicious book. We had good fun cooking out of it. This one in particular is the roast lamb leg. Do you want to tell us about it, Pam? Well, it was a technique that I was not familiar with because I, I'm used to eating your lamb. 
But she, which is so delicious, <laughs> you forgot. You forgot that part. You forgot yeah, the last part I'm of that. I'm glad you, you left that out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she calls it um, spring lamb in herbs. Right. So it's reliant on a combination of really leafy greens, and she separates it into a paste for the roast, and then the other half for the dressing. Once the lamb is done, but she makes the paste and wraps it in aluminum foil. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other crucial ingredient, preserved lemon, one of my top notch favorites. Which is interesting for Ukraine, considering. I know. Yeah. That, that's, it's a Moroccan thing. Um, but. And then the, all of that as it cooks and the moisture uh, is leached from the lamb, it makes supposedly a spectacular sauce. Right, right. right. And then it's a pull apart, so moist. So it's, it's, it's well done. Really yeah. well yeah. done. Uh-huh. And then the chopped herbs and lemons for the top. Sprinkled on top, yeah. But mm. uh, you had a good question before the show, Tom, because like, we all love uh, crispy bits and crunchy bits. Mm-hmm. Does it get crunchy? I well, don't that was the thing. It sounded know. almost like it stews in the foil, yeah, right? it's more and, which is fine. But um, I also, you know, foil is a conductor, so it could be that well, it's kind it of still like browns a little bit in like the foil. Like a lua idea where you put, you know, you wrap up everything in the... Leaf and everything. Banana leaves. Yeah, so it's the same kind of principle. It does steam the whole time, but if you leave it long enough and at the end, you know, you open it up, you can get a little crispiness on the meat, but Mm. because everything has been rendered, so the meat. Oh, that's a good idea. The milk, the meat will crisp up very quickly. Oh, another trick that Tom Douglas has said many times here. Oh, he's right here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you can take a cast iron pan and throw your meat into the cast iron pan that's really hot. And that will give your meat some nice crispiness. Your reverse sear, basically. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so you can do that at the end. But, yeah, it sounded like a really nice recipe. I personally, I don't think I would wrap it up in the foil. I would just, you know, just put a parchment paper on top if you're afraid of over-drying it at the beginning. But I think you could get, if you were butterflying your leg of lamb, putting it on a roasting pan. No, this is on the bone, bud. I know. Yeah. But I would... That's what I would do. I'm talking about what I would do. Okay. Yeah. And I would put all those herbs, you know, finely chopped into it with a little bit of olive oil and macerate the whole thing an hour before putting it in the oven. Put that in the oven fairly warm, 400 degrees, for about 20 minutes, and then turn it down to 325, and then let it sit there and keep going and roasting for probably another 45 minutes to an hour. And then you'll have this beautiful meat that will be having a little crispiness on the outside, but tender and falling apart on the side. Yum. Yes. And all the juice will come out. And well, at the end of the day, if you've ever made lamb shanks, that's kind of what you want the whole roast to be like, right? You right. want it to kind of be melt off the bone. Right. When we break down a leg, say you have see leg of lamb on a menu at a restaurant, we break down the whole leg. We take all the sinew off. Right. And so we're cooking an individual chunk of meat Correct. of that leg and calling it leg of lamb. Right. Uh, and it acts a little bit more like a lamb sirloin at that point. Or, Correct. And also, depend on the part, like you said. I mean, if you take in the butt, that's fine. But once you move out away from that, you know, you get all these muscles, and mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely a tougher piece of meat. It's getting more. It needs to be cooked all the way. So, if you're going to a butcher, you might take a look at a lamb shoulder because it's often a buck or two a pound cheaper than the leg of lamb, and it's literally cooks exactly the same way. It's got a blade bone in it. Uh, the clavicle of the sheep, right? right? And so it, it cooks, ex- you know, you could do exactly the same thing and save a few bucks uh, from on your lamb. Right. That's a very nice idea. Shoulder. Shoulder is where The other at. thing that they'll do with shoulder, the, you know, they'll cut it like, you know, anybody know what uh, 
country style pork ribs are, right? It's got the that's cut from the Boston butt, the shoulder, uh, the the butt of the pig, and it's got that clavicle cut into. That's that odd little bone you find in country style pork ribs. Mm-hmm. Same with the lamb. Uh, you can take those and just you can cook those medium rare. Oh yeah, yeah. Those would be make delicious. little steaks out of them. Yeah, a bit smaller, but they're definitely delicious. Mm-hmm. Are you having lamb this year, chef? Or are you? I am going to try to go to a friend's house, so I don't know what I'm going to have yet. But it's definitely. When you say be... try, does that mean you haven't been invited yet? Well, I'm, 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 an invitation. I've asked already. You've asked I've already. Ask. <laughs> it's just my wife and I. And anybody in the audience would take Portieri. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> the invitation is out, so we'll see. We'll see. We haven't got the invitation back. Okay. He's a very uh, charming guest. Yes. So <laughs> you, you should invite. He him. does critique your food pretty harshly, though. So be careful. I do not. I do I've not had go. you to my house. Well, you, easy. Yeah. I have to. Are Is you there kidding? anything on your Easter craving list that you have to have as part of that holiday? Celebration besides devil well, day. To me, I think the fresh herb is exactly what I'm shooting for because I was in my garden yesterday. I got chives galore. I mean, because I have a whole row of chives. Those chives, man, they, they can go so many different ways. But to make a paste, to make a... a you know, like a chomula idea or whatever, lemon, olive oil, garlic, chives, you get some beautiful paste that you have that you can put on to so many different kind of roasting meat. Or fish, you can even put on fish. You know, like on fish. On salmon, you can put a beautiful, fresh, you know, new salmon coming in. You get a beautiful piece of salmon and put it on a flat pan, on a cast iron pan or outside on the barbecue. Totally this fun. time of year for me, I'm starting to think about things I'm going to miss when spring comes. I know spring is here literally, but there's some final vegetable happenings for me. Like I know in four weeks, I'm going to have asparagus every day for six weeks. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to have cauliflower anymore. So like (laughs) yesterday for evening, I do, if some of you might know, I do spots for evening, the television show. And uh, I kind of celebrated what was the beginning of spring, which was garlic chives. And then what's the end of spring for me, which is cauliflower. So I just right. did the hard seared cauliflower in cast iron and made a little relish out of the chopped chives, pumpkin seed oil, muscatel vinegar, just a bright little thing to put on top of my roasted cauliflower. Yeah, so we, it's a celebration of both the end and the beginning of seasons. We had two big squash left at home that mm-hmm. we uh, roasted a couple of days ago to make all the end of the squash soup. You know, nice puree, put a few quarts in the freezer and... Yeah. That's going to be the next few weeks and be done with that. Yeah, then you move into the gorgeous then peas. We, oh, I can't wait. Oh, they're yeah. so, I'm so excited. Yeah, oh. I know. Asparagus, uh, local strawberries by the beginning of uh, June, maybe. Peas, peas. Cherries by the middle of June. By the time we reach the peas, we're definitely doing well. Yeah, so I was just celebrating that. And the other thing I celebrated uh, on evening, I shot two segments yesterday, is crab. Oh, yeah. Uh, in some stores, you can find crab. I think Costco has whole crab right now at $3.99 a pound. What kind I of bought crab? it at Shoreline Central Market at $13.99 a pound. <laughs> oh, you like to spend more money. Yeah, it. whatever. It was, I was a live crab. Uh, and, but the this. crab meat itself was still $40 a pound, which is $20 less than it was just it a month down. ago. It came down. Yeah. I asked him at Fresh Fish. I was like, what, what happened? Is it, is it Dungeness? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Crab is super cheap right now. So I made a beautiful bib lettuce crab salad with fried olives and uh, avocados and grapefruit sections. The last of the season grapefruits, right? So, And I shouldn't say last of the season. It's the last of the time of year where I want to use them. Right. And then you move in the fresh local fruit. Because I always give myself permission in the winter to use The avocados it. are delicious right now. 
We're going to talk about what to buy at a restaurant supply store that you might not think about as an everyday consumer. On on uh, Hot Stove Society Radio on Cairo 97.3 FM. Here I'm waiting, palpitating with all that meat. And no potatoes. All that meat and no potatoes. All that food to the alligators. Now hold me steady. I'm screaming hot Cheetos and Takis. Boy, you better eat your broccoli. Fake food is kind of like putting poison in your brain. No more people at the club. All right, do you ever think about where to buy your kitchenware instead of Amazon or some of the big... Um, William Sonoma's or, or or other places. Sur la table. Well, I'm just saying there's other options out there that people sometimes are intimidated to go into because they don't know. Right. They don't know what they're, they're going to walk into. And that would be most restaurant supply stores like right. Bar Green Ellingson, Dick's Restaurant Supply. Uh, restaurant store? What is it called? Seattle Restaurant, restaurant store, store up on Aurora. Most yeah. of those restaurant stores have a retail component to them. Right. And you can buy what we buy for the restaurants. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily always better or worse. It's just, you just sometimes have to what you can pick. buy larger vessels. Sometimes you can buy this or that that's a little bit different. Most likely it will outlast whatever you buy otherwise. Depends I would on what have you said buy. you were right 20 years ago, but kitchenware has come so far. That's true. Uh, you know, thick cookie sheets, right? And silk pats and things like that. Kitchenware has really come a long way. No, that's ways true. That's true. As... Um, as a, being available. So uh, if you were to walk into Bar Green Ellingson, what would you buy? So the New York Times did a little piece on this. As they do, they were having a fabulous food section day again, which is, uh, you know, we always like to say the New York Times, the Washington Post, the L.A. Times, fabulous food sections every week, both in their Wednesday and often Friday papers and even Sunday sometimes. Uh, what would you buy instead of, say, buying it on Amazon or buying it at your local supply store? There are some really cool things you could buy. Like, for example, when I was down visiting Palm Springs a couple of weekends ago, my friends didn't have a salad bowl big enough to serve six people. <laughs> well, that, now, I, I think that's true in most places. I, most think, most, I think most houses don't have the big bowl that we, you, and I are familiar right. with, which is so much easier to work with. So much easier. If I you take a bowl my... that is a lot bigger than your task, you won't have a problem. The other way around sucks. Well, that's true. And I think what you just said is really important part of that. Much bigger than your task. So right. not big enough, but even much bigger than your right. task. Because right. if you've got salad for six or eight people... You don't want it to the brim, right? No. You want it halfway up so that you can get your fingers in there, spread out, and toss gently right. and move that, move that stuff around. Exactly. Then you can move it to a show salad bowl exactly. if, if you happen to have one, and then fill it up a little bit bigger. Correct. But you want a working bowl that you can get into and move around in. Yeah, I think, I think that most, most cases, sheet pans, which is basically baking sheet pan, and bowls are usually in a smaller size and usually pretty flimsy in most people's home. You know, sheet pans are probably, to me, one of the worst items that I find in kitchens that are very well suited and have almost everything. And then you put a sheet pan and it's like, oh, that man, this is, this is going to work the minute I put this on the heat. Right, right, exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's important to choose those items. Yes, it's more expensive when you buy it, but you're going to buy it once. You're not going to buy it twice. Yeah. You know, and, and the other one 
going to be a pain in the neck for the rest of your life. So let's go stay in that world for a second. The other thing that I find when I'm catering in people's houses or uh, what I really like having in my own house right. are egg pans. Oh, yeah. So now we're at the opposite end of the big bowl spectrum. We're like the, the little ones. <laughs> and I like inch. to have six inches yeah. at the max. Yeah. I like to have six to ten of those in my drawer so that when I'm, say, building a stir fry. Right. I can put, you know, all the different vegetables. I have a little bowl for each one. Keeps it kind of tidy and organized while you're working. Ginger and garlic and one carrots and one sliced zucchini and another. I, because I'm in a home kitchen, I'm generally going to cook all of those things separately. Right. When you put all those into a wok at the same time, what do you end up with? Soup. Yeah. You don't exactly. get the sear that you want, right? So you lose the heat. Having those little what we call egg cups, because that's the same cup that we use in the restaurant. If you'll see a, a breakfast restaurant... You'll see those lined up with two eggs in each one right. so that they're ready to go. Because what do chefs do? They crack their eggs into the bowl so they can see that there's no shell. Right. Exactly. They don't crack them directly into the pan because it's hard to fish a piece of shell out. Right? And if you so. crack a lot of eggs, you want to crack them in small amounts. So if you break one, yeah. you go, okay, so I can just discard one, not discard the entire Especially bowl. Especially eggs are over 50 cents a piece now. Yeah. Whereas just a year ago, they were a quarter a piece. Yeah. So, uh, so th- those are two bowl issues that I think you can really... Settle at a restaurant supply house uh, and when, then you're, when you're going the there. The other one for me is the whisk. I use whisk a lot because I do sauces, I do stocks, I do mixing. And, and there's a lot of flimsy plastic whips up there. And I'm like, why? Why is this thing? Right. <laughs> I don't get it. You know, buy a good whisk, a wood handle or a steel handle, and buy it so it's a nice little balloon on it. And you can use it for everything and take care of it, preferably hung or standing up. You know, don't put it in the drawer with all the other tools because it's going to get crushed and it's oh, going to get. that's a good tip. It's going to get dismembered. Mangled. Thank you. Have a little rack where you can <laughs> hang that item or have a pot where you can put it standing up. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the whisk is up because otherwise it's going to get really beat up and it's going to look like something that was deformed. I'm surprised how many sizes are handy. And firmness. When, yeah. when you buy yeah. a whisk, if, you're, if what you use a whisk for at home is making whipped cream, say, or meringue, uh, you then you want a different kind of whisk than if you're, say, making gravy. You know, right. right? You don't want a balloon, firm balloon whisk for gravy. Right. Uh, so it's, thinking about what it is that you use your whisk for, get a get one or two of each. Yeah, get one that's hard for sauces and mixing, and then get one that's soft for whipping. That's usually a good, you know, good just good basic to have two of them. And uh, then <coughs> rubber spatula. There's so a lot many. of rubber spatula on the a market. Lot of them. Oh my God, there's a lot of them. And not many of them are that great, actually. It turns out to be that uh, the money needs to be spent on rubber spatula. And I don't remember, what's that brand with the red handle? Uh, the red handle spatula. <laughs> yeah, the red handle spatula. You know, those, those But you spatulas. see them in restaurant supply. Yeah. yeah, in restaurant supply. They're expensive. But they're a great investment because they will never go down on you. They do melt if you leave them in a pan. Like well, <laughs> well, you, have to, you have to work at that because I've yeah. been using them for many years and I've never melted one. So yeah. you have to be really paying no attention to your stuff. And you know what? If you melt it down, you deserve to buy a new one. The other thing, I think you can find these in a normal kitchen shop like Sur La Table or something like that. But uh, in a restaurant supply, you'll see ladles come in one, two... Correct. Four, six, eight-ounce sizes, right. and they're a great way to measure. Like, if you know you have six people for dinner and you're trying to figure out how much butternut squash soup to have, right. it's an easy way to make sure everyone gets exactly the same amount Correct. instead of trying to pour it in. Same way with making cookies or crab cakes or things like that. To have yeah. multiple sizes of a scoop 
that you can scoop things out in yeah. cocktail crab cake size into two ounce crab cake size into three ounce crab cake size, depending on how you like it. Absolutely. Right? So uh, those are good fun things that you can find in restaurant supply stores. Plus, even if you don't buy a thing, it's a fun stroll. Oh, definitely. You see pans the size of your house. I don't think you will buy nothing. I think you will buy something. And I think that's the thing New York Times says is don't buy your pans there generally, unless you just need a big brazier or something. Right. But because for the home, especially people that are moving to induction, a thick bottom Mm -hmm. real pan is very useful to have. And that's generally not what a restaurant supply house carries because most restaurants won't spend the money on them. Correct. Right? Yeah. Like all clad is something I would buy for my house, not necessarily for the restaurant. Correct. Any other thoughts on that before we close that subject? Uh, Baskets. Oh, Bridget. Chef Bridget as as a raising your hand. Brigitte. Brigitte, what's going on? She's got a point. I have a really good tip, and that is World Market, Cost Plus World Market, uh-huh. has been upping their game in the kitchenware. So they have nice sheet pans. Nice slotted spoons, nice whisk, bigger bowls, nice platters. And, like, the platters are $12.99. Nice big platters and stuff. But they also carry the BK Black Steel, which is a Dutch company. Sure. And they make those French steel pans, and they're, like, $25. Nice. Well, there you go. Oh, a tip tip of the day. Just ruined our whole segment there, Bridget, (laughs) going to restaurant supply houses. Up next, Yonder Ciders, Tasty Trivia. All sorts of deliciousness with turkey burgers on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. She's just one more reason I turn to the brew. You see, a beer's ten times better whenever it's cold. I am a cider drinker. I drink it all on the day. I am a cider Welcome back to hour number two of the Hot Stove Society radio show. We're excited to have the folks from Yonder Cider here to Yonder and Beyond, Chef. That's, that's right. what I say. Uh, welcome, Kaylin Brom from Yonder Cider. If you need Thank any you help so much marketing. for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm Chef Tom Douglas. And I'm Jerry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Pamela, of course, is producing. Sean, on our technical. Our, how are we doing technically today, Sean? Pretty good? Thumbs up? All right. Technically good. That's a different finger than Bridget just used at me. So. <laughs> nice job. Way to go. Welcome and congratulations on the success of your brand. I know we have it in some of our joints. We just had an account pick up, uh, the Hatback picked up uh, Vantage kegs for Home Opener today. Uh-huh. And oh. they ordered 100 kegs of Vantage. And That's a so, great get. Thanks. Yeah, wow, really, congratulations. Thank you. I know. For, and we're only two and a half years old, so right. something like that for us means the world. And I had to call my cider maker in Wenatchee, Monique, and be like, Hey, Monique. Uh, <laughs> hey. We just had, it's, it's like a restaurant that goes, hey, chef, we just had 60 people walking in from the tour bus. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready? It's yeah. kind of what it felt like, honestly, yeah. when we got that email. And so she's like, I can sneak in a batch because they said they're going to order 100 craigs a month. And for us, that's a full tank. Like, that's one uh, of our wow. full, like, 1250s. And she's like... I'll sneak in a batch. We'll set it aside just for them, and we'll make it happen. And that's kind of what we do at Yonder. We, we make it happen. Make it happen. So when I drive from our farm in Prosser, Washington, uh, whether it's uh, west to Seattle or from Seattle east, I drive by 100 apple trucks a day, uh, you know, that are just loaded with the big totes. Are they headed into Yonder Cider? Do they come uh, all the way over the pass? Some of them probably are, yeah. yeah. So we are, our production facility is based in Wenatchee. So, oh, so it's over there. Yep, okay. so it's over there. Um, and that's, we put our production facility over there because we crush all of our own apples. Mm-hmm. And so 
bringing the apples across the pass just didn't make sense. So having a space over in the heart of apple country made a lot of sense for us and meant a lot to Mm -hmm. us. Um, So that's what we do. Uh, We opened about two and a half years ago, and we have Yonder Cider, which is our outward brand. And then we have the Source Cider that does custom fermentation for other cideries. So, yeah, it's great. My first question is, why, why cider? Why did you get into it? It's a great question. Um, I've been in the industry in some shape or form for about 15 years. I used to homebrew with my dad as a kid. And then um, I was a TV reporter for a little bit and then got into PR and marketing when I moved to Seattle from Minnesota. And I was working for a PR firm that um, was doing PR for restaurants, wineries, um, you know, hotels. And I really got into the craft beverage scene here. It was nano breweries at the time, right? That's 14, Mm -hmm. 15 years ago. And I was just like amazed by it because at the time it's not this way anymore minneapolis was what i called the land of like miller light and applebee's it's gorgeous now thousand lakes is what i do also a thousand lakes (laughs) (laughs) Um, still love a good miller light with green olives in it that's a midwest thing Uh, but i moved here and discovered craft beer so started in beer then got into wine and then spirits and then um, was working at two beers brewing in seattle cider company at the time or two beers, and then they started Seattle Cider Company. We started it, and I knew nothing about cider at the time. And I found it just so amazing because it's one of the beverages that I feel still needs a lot of education around it. And it was an opportunity to just learn so much as well as teach so much Mm -hmm. through amazing products. So I've absolutely loved it. Um, It's my beverage of choice now, um, besides cocktails. That's my other one. Did you do a tour to Normandy by any chance? I've been to Brittany, yes. Brittany and Normandy, yeah. Yeah, and so I, um, I used to actually work for Boston Beer and Angry Orchard as well. And so that during that time, I got the chance to travel the world and learn more about cider that way. And that's kind of what led me to Yonder, honestly, Um, seeing how different producers around the world were using different fruit, different fermentation techniques, learned all about keeving in France, uh, learned about spontaneous fermentation in Spain and in England, you know, still cider. And it was just this eye-opening experience for me to then be able to come back and go, okay, I want to start something that's right in the middle of all of these things that I have learned over the years and bring cider to people in a way that's approachable and also fun. I love my, at the beginning, when at the beginning, up until a few years ago, you know, every time I would look for raw cider, I was always disappointed because raw cider here didn't mean the same thing as raw cider in Normandy or Brittany. Very you know, true. It's like completely different of a flavor. And, but now, you know, cideries have changed and, you know, they're starting to build up on those. So you have some ciders that are similar to that in the raw section? We don't do any spontaneous fermentation at okay. our facility yet. Um, it is definitely something we're interested in. And I was actually just having a conversation with somebody about it the other day. Uh, currently, we're still pitching all of our yeast and doing some clean fermentations. But what we do strive for is dry cider right. um, that is complex. And so rather than using just culinary apples, which is what you'd find at the grocery store, right? right. You're like Honeycrisp, your Gala, your Pink Lady, your Granny Smith. We add what I call cider fruit to it. Okay. And cider fruit's going to be that fruit that like crab apples are a cider fruit. So mm-hmm. any of those apples that you find that you bite into and they are tannic and tart and we call them spitters because you don't want to eat them. They're not delicious to eat, yeah. but they make for beautiful cider. They also make for beautiful pies in case you guys have one of those trees in your backyard because of the complexity of the fruit and you're adding a decent amount of sugar into that pie. Um, but that's we add cider fruit to all of our ciders to bring more of that complexity forward and 
and to showcase that. And at our tap room um, in Ballard, we have five single varietals on. We have our infusions, our dries. We have a little bit of everything to really showcase the breadth of cider. So what would be an introduction to a cider? I mean, (laughs) let's say people have never had cider, which I think is a lot of people. Yeah. How do you introduce them to it? Or you have people like me that have always hated cider. Oh. But I'm not a a beer drinker either. fighting words. I love it. I understand. challenge. But I will say that to me, cider always smelled like an old uh, beer hall to me. And it's just it was never attractive. But the ciders now are very different. They're, they are. They're very approachable. They're more like a cocktail. They are. And what you're starting with on ours is uh, one of our, mo- uh, the Vantage. So you started, all started with our Vantage, which is our semi-dry cider. And so we have a dry as well, which is the green can up here. Um, that it has zero sugar in it. The dry does. The Vantage has just a touch of sweetness to it. And what I love about the Vantage is that it pairs really well with food. I actually had some serious pie last night. Yay! I had the fennel and sausage uh, pizza, and it was delicious with it because that little bit of sweetness and the roundness from the fruit really enhances flavors. It's really good with spicy food, like any sort of Thai food I think that pairs beautifully with. That is where I would start people because it's apple only. It's not too acidic because it's got that touch of sugar to it but still on the dry side of things and that's one thing i like about the new style of cider is less sugar more savory flavors you know raw flavor of apple exactly and then from there we have so we have our our dry and our vantage which are our main line like apple only products and then we also have our infusions and so those can be our seasonals or things like velvet cashmere which is being poured now um velvet cashmere is actually our winter seasonal cashmere which is based off of negroni it's the red can that we then add Amaro to with Fast Penny Spirits Amaro. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're Amaricano. And so I love The Rouge cider. or the Blanc? Uh, the Looks Rouge. Looks like the Rouge, yep. yeah. And so I find that cider is underappreciated for its versatility. And so we can do everything from make beautiful, dry, you know, apple-only ciders right. to cocktail inspired and focused infusions to things like Pomo mm-hmm. and really do this wide range. And because we're a cidery, I don't know if I decide to make wine one day, we can because technically we're wine. So mm-hmm. who knows what we'll do. All right. Let's when see. we come back, let's talk more about that. I also want to talk about the blending of those apples right. uh, that we see on the roadways, at least that I see. Uh, it's just astonishing to me how much fruit travels our highways it's pretty amazing. Uh, over there in eastern Washington. So uh, we'll do that when we come back. We're talking with Kaylin Brom of Yonder Cider right here at the Hot Stove Society Show, Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. What you doing that for? We're back in the kitchen here at the Hot Stove Society Show. If you ever want to join us, just go to hotstovesociety.com and buy a ticket. It wasn't worth the money. 25 bucks comes with a little breakfast, hot coffee, and some lovely entertainment. Right now, we're being entertained by Kaylin Brom. Kaylin, I made a typo. Caitlin Brom of uh, Yonder Cider. And we've heard a little bit about the brand and how you got started. Uh, We've tasted a couple of things here. Uh, uh, Tell us again, we tasted the Vantage. Yep, our semi-dry. Your semi-dry, which is true. There's got just a little bit of bricks or or sweetness left to it, residual sugar. And then we tasted the cashmere cider, which, uh, you know, we have really good luck at our restaurants with the 
Fast Penny Amaro, a local Amaro, both the Rouge and the Blanc. Mm-hmm. We love them, and I love what they do. Their little tasting deck is one of, the, I think, the most, the best hidden day drinking that- weekend secrets in the city. I don't know it. And so I would highly recommend going. They'd make beautiful cocktails there, and they actually sell our velvet cashmere there as well. Tasting it- deck, Pam. Mm. Yeah. Why didn't we think of that? I want to get it's in like, on It's that. like a loading ramp that they've turned into this beautiful tasting deck I that's love covered, it. Yeah. and I just think it's so innovative. And so, yeah, we just love trying things that are outside the box uh-huh. and we met with them and took all of our seasonals and we're like okay what pairs well together and we yeah. tried their Bianca and we tried their Americano as well and this is what we landed on and I just think it is so different and the it says wine cocktail on it because at the end of the day that's pretty much what it is is blending yeah. and it holds on its own which is really cool you can serve that as an aperitif with a nice cube in it Mm, be yeah, totally that's fine. a good idea agreed so and let's, let's go back to the field for a few minutes if yeah. we could because um I keep talking about these trucks of apples, and I can't figure out where they're all going, especially in the middle of winter. And, of course, they're going to cideries and uh, applesauce plants and all sorts of places, you know, out of the cold storage, from picking the cold storage and then on to where they get uh, secondary manipulation, I'll, I'll call it. Are you tasting the apples for your blends in the field, or do you taste them when they hit the cold storage and go pick out lots of apples, lots being L-O-T-S, of like selections of apples in the field so we work directly with orchards um, Mm -hmm. and growers to pick out our fruit every year and so that fruit can change year to year depending on the weather depending on when it's picked and all of that and so so you don't have a contract in place you just go and by the seat of your pants? We are one of the biggest buyers of cider fruit in the Northwest. Um, we actually pressed around 136,000 pounds of just cider fruit apples mm-hmm. alone last year and 3.1 million pounds of apples in oh. total last year mm-hmm. um, between, our, between our cidery and the other cideries we work with. And so we buy a lot of fruit. And so we work really closely with those orchards to buy truckloads of this beautiful cider fruit that makes our cider and other cidery cider taste the way it does. It gives it more tannin, more body, more aroma, more mouthfeel, mm-hmm. and it's really important to everything we do at Yonder. Um, so yeah, we, we taste it. So out there in the field. Yeah. Spitting apples. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and one of the things I find... Um, beautiful about our process is that we get the out you know we've tasted the in the orchard we get the apples in we taste the juice as it's coming off the press we taste it after fermentation as a single varietal and then from those single varietals is how we create each and every one of our ciders Mm -hmm. it's not the same blend in every single cider we make we pick cider fruit that mimics or that enhances the flavors we're trying to get out of each and every cider we create and that can be everything from apple only stuff like our dry and our vantage or coolie, our summer seasonal. That's pineapple, lime, and cardamom. So we pick a cider apple that has really fruity, you know, tropical characteristics to it to enhance what we're doing because we pay a lot of money for those apples. They're not right. cheap. We don't want to just cover them up. We want to make it balanced and beautiful and work together. Right. Who's peeling the apple? Just kidding. <laughs> One million pound of apple to peel. Thank you very no, much. No peeling. No peeling involved. Uh, there's kidding. a big washer, a grinder, and a press. And afterwards, the pumice either gets uh, donated to a farmer um, or goes to compost. Or we make something that's called ciderkin. Do you know what ciderkin is? No. What is that? Okay. So do you know what paquette is in the wine world? Nope. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you press grapes for the first time, and then you rehydrate them right. with water, and you make what's called like a small wine. Right. It's lower ABB. ABV comes out about at like 7% rather than 14 We do that same thing with apple pumice, where we actually rehydrate it, let it macerate for about 48 hours, and repress it. And those skins and those seeds and that, that 
pulp that's in there, we pull anything that's left out and we get about a three and a half percent naturally um, flavored delicious beverage yeah. that isn't technically cider, cider right. kin, um, but makes for a low ABV beverage that you know, we created it of something that would have gone to the waste stream. Absolutely. And from it's, that, you make grappa. The, the, what's yeah, left of exactly. that, you make There's grappa, <laughs> apple grappa. Again, this is why cider is so beautiful, is that there is just like no end in sight to what you can make. And things like the pomo that we have here. What is that? What you is have that? to try. Pomo is like an aperitif. Oh, you could use it as a digestive, but it's really nice on a, you know, it's 5 p.m. It's really hot outside. You sit on the porch in the shade. I like and your then style. You take, a, you take a nice big glass you put a nice cube in it, and you pour the pomo, which is a basically a, it's a distilled apple. It's almost like a light like a brandy, apple. Almost. It's a cut between a wine and a brandy. So. Yeah, so you take finished cider, so say you took our Vantage, and you distill it down to make an apple brandy. And then you add back in fresh juice, and you barrel age it for a period of three or more years. And so we actually, this is a collaboration with Easy Orchard out of Oregon, where we buy a, a large amount of our cider fruit from. Kevin's a good friend of mine, and he created this, but he doesn't have his own brand anymore. And so he wanted to get this out into the market. We buy a lot of fruit from him, and I have spent years um, enjoying this so much. Mm -hmm. So we released it together under Yonder, and we have it on tap at the at the Ballard Tap Room. I know it's dangerous. <laughs> no, uh, it is eighteen percent. As much as I love it, it's not something I would drink. But the big sixteen <laughs> no, ounces, <laughs> we do we do tiny three ounce pours because honestly, a lot of people don't know what Pomo is. Right. And part of our goal at the Ballard Tap Room and with Yonder in general is to make sure that we're educating people on yeah. all of these things. So why would you buy? I mean, this isn't a cheap bottle. No, it's three seven five you know milliliters and it's thirty five dollars. So it's real cute. Don't get me wrong and a lot of people bought it for that of course, of course but i want people to know what they're getting into right. and what they're going to be enjoying so we try uh, it is only three ounce pours the tap room staff is very good about makes sense that. three ounce pour is good but it's fun to be able to go into our tap room and it's shared with bill breaker brewing so there's 16 taps of beer and then there's 16 we taps love their of cider beer, yeah it's yeah. great yeah. And, and if you want to use that to desalter you know to just you're too hot just put some seltzer in it oh just there you go seltzer water and <laughs> And or some sparkling water is what I meant, not yes. seltzer, because seltzer is salty. Then I think, you know, pomo over a little bit of vanilla ice cream is really oh, beautiful. Yeah. And there's just so many options for it that I think, again, this is why I love cider. The The possibilities, I think, are endless, and we really enjoy getting to share it and educate people on it. If you were to tell somebody, don't miss this apple, if you're making homemade cider, because it really, it is what cider is all about, What what would be the species or the variety of apple that you would choose uh i'll have two answers for this roxbury okay. russet is the one or golden russet those two are the ones i gravitate towards for a lot of our blends because i think it is really vibrant in aroma it's really fruity in its flavor and some really beautiful tannin if you ask the cider nerd in me mm -hmm. you go for the kingston black it is kingston black and kingston roxbury russell it's hard to grow kingston's hard to grow it's a tough apple it's tannic it's beautiful and it's hard to ferment uh -huh. but it makes for a really beautiful beverage that's some nerdy why is that always the case <laughs> i mean and there's, and there's only one that's fault. going deep <laughs> if it was easy you wouldn't yeah, do it exactly. Right? exactly well that tap room in in ballard is stunning and the staff was um following your lead and educational it's not, i want you all to go there this weekend all right and order yonder cider or wherever you go it's it's in every place it's even down at uh i believe down at his big mountain barbecue right now on tap uh, my my new barbecue joint okay congratulations go from cider to turkey burgers right here on the hot stove society show 97.3 fm
Turkey burgers, turkey, turkey burgers, turkey burgers, turkey, turkey burgers, turkey burgers, turkey, 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 turkey burgers. Yummy, yummy, yummy. Hey, how do you make turkey burgers not taste like sawdust? We're going to tell you that when we come... When we uh, get into our turkey burger situation here, uh, in the meantime, Chef, have you ever had a turkey burger? Uh, not yet. That doesn't surprise me. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat who's never had a turkey He's burger. never had a turkey burger. So if you were to have a turkey burger... But you know what? I don't feel like I'm missing anything yet. <laughs> Good way to start the show here, bud. Um, uh, if you were to have a turkey burger, what would your expectation be? So, like, um, you know what a turkey sandwich, you've had a turkey oh, no, sandwich, course, like sliced breast or whatever. A turkey burger. You want it to be light or dark meat? Oh, I'm going to definitely do dark meat. Because definitely I'm, do dark, yeah. I'm a dark, you can, meat, I'm a dark meat guy all the way. So. Yeah, you can buy, I think in the grocery store, if I'm not mistaken, you can buy ground breast or you can buy ground thigh. It's or maybe harder it's, to find the dark meat, though. Maybe there's a combination. There's breast only and then there's a combination, maybe. But. Yeah, I would, I would definitely go with duck meat. And then how would you start to make a turkey burger? <clears throat> well, would, now here we got a pound of raw ground um, turkey. I would definitely do like some onions or shallots of some kind. Why? So, you wouldn't put that in because, a regular burger. Oh, yes, I would. Onions and shallots well, into would, a hamburger? Not a hamburger, but... A, well, that's what we're making This here. is a white meat burger. This is different. The chicken or, or turkey, I would use a little bit of onion or chives or something of that nature to have a little flavor in there. I know he's not going to, he's curious, that's not very American. I'm going to use um, egg. I was going to use an egg for binding. And then I would use probably a little bit of flour or... So you're making meatloaf burgers. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> and how would you make it? Well, I would make it just like I would make a beef burger. Okay. So uh, no except egg? that the problem, the question that Pam had when she wrote this segment was, how do you make extra juicy turkey burgers? So I don't think the intention so much was to make a meatloaf i think it's and you make a burger but how do you add fat to it because right. the only thing that's going to make it extra juicy really is fat or maybe onions because onions will seep that's some just juice water. and some water that's water you know yeah it's moisture uh, that's that's kind of like the interest behind that any white meat that i would do in burger i would definitely put something that has a watering addition to it so i'm going to get a little bit crazy because it's going to gross people out but when i grind my chicken for my chicken uh-huh. uh, sausages or whatever i grind the skin with it because the skin is where oh, all the fat like a is good idea yeah. so when you have a whole turkey by the neck or butt uh, you'll find uh, fat sure. globules so that you want to make sure you grind right into your turkey sure uh when you're why would that grind- sound gross well, a lot of people, especially, you know, maybe turkey lovers are looking for something lean Those and mean. Those people are never going to grind their own meat. They're going to buy it in a package. <laughs> yeah, but that's not going to have skin in it. I agree, but that's, they're missing out. But I'm just saying, for uh, the question on the table is, how do you make extra juicy turkey burgers? So you could start there. You might even have to go further. Right. So you could grind bacon into it, but then yeah. it's a turkey bacon burger. Because bacon, bacon we give a little smoke too, right? You could toss a little olive oil in your... In your meat when you're mixing it? You could, and, and absolutely. And that would definitely bring some moisture and some fat. The thing that you want to be careful of when you're doing this is that you don't want granules, right? You Correct. want it to stick together as a paste. Right. In, in that world, if you put it into your mixer and beat it with a paddle, it'll make the burger meat more pasty and right. it will hold more things in it than... Sure. I don't know if you've ever done that with hamburger. It works the same way. It's like right. when you make meatballs, a lot of the times people will beat the, beat the ground right. meat... To make it pasty and 
definitely will hold together better. Yeah. So uh, then, di- very different texture, though. Oh, de- definitely. It becomes much firmer. And, yeah. Uh, so what about mayonnaise? What do you think about mayonnaise as an additional fact? Because that, to me, mayonnaise is generally mustard, egg, oil, and lemon juice. I mean, those right. are the four things. And we would easily add those separately See, to the turkey se- burger. Yeah, I would put that on top after it's cooked. Not in cooking. it. No. Why not? What because do you think is going to happen? Because it's going to break. It's going to separate. It's going to... It's the fat. It's, it's not... I don't know. I just don't like the idea of mixing it inside and getting it hot. So hot. And when you're cooking your, your burger, mm-hmm. that mayonnaise is going to break down and... I think it's a much better... Well, it better comes out... I mean, when it breaks, you said you just said you would add olive oil, possibly. Yeah. So when the mayonnaise breaks, an olive oil mayonnaise, it's going to have olive oil in it. So it's, what's the difference? No, it will definitely bring a little moisture, but the, I don't know. I just like to have my mayonnaise added afterward. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can argue that for days, but it's yeah, like but in or out. I'm like, I'll go out and I put it on top of it after. Because when I do a burger... To me, the outside is also very important. Slice beautiful heirloom tomato, a little piece of uh, lettuce or arugula or something that has a bite to it. Why does it always sound better when you say it? <laughs> arugula? <laughs> tomato? Okay, how many orders do I get? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants a burger. Okay, good. <laughs> when I say put arugula on your burger, it just doesn't sound no. the same. No. <laughs> well, that's because you don't love arugula like I do. I don't have it. I say rocket. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> what else could we do? Uh, Pamela, you had suggest, suggested earlier maybe mashed avocado in the burger. The yeah. two recipes that caught my eye, uh, one had mashed avocado, like half an avocado to a pound of turkey meat. It also um, kept it from shrinking. Yeah. I don't know what the science of that is, but that was one of the reasons it was recommended. And then also butter, mm-hmm. cold grated butter. Mm-hmm. So just out of the fridge. Uh, oh, why are you laughing? I'm laughing because, of course, that's going to be good. Of course. <laughs> I'm like, who doesn't want a nice, nice butter inside their burger? Uh-huh. I mean, if you do it slowly and you cook it nicely, you know, good temperature with butter in the pan, too, because that's how I would cook my turkey burger and, yeah. you know, make it. You know, in the pan and then yeah. more butter inside, of course. By the time you eat the burger, everything is hoozing butter. I mean, who doesn't like so that? So then yeah. let's go to even uh, something like butter, but let's go to something like mascarpone or cream oh, cheese, right? Oh, my goodness. Where it's maybe, you know, it's the same dairy, right? It's butter's made from, from that, essentially. So why not add a little cheese? And if you want parm, you know, grated parm, anything like that is... Grated parm. Cheese is 70% fat. So when you put that into your into your burger, whether it's beef or turkey, um, you're just adding fat that's not going to melt out necessarily, right? I know. I like that better. Mm-hmm. Better than butter. One, one thing we haven't <laughs> one thing we haven't t- touched on. One of my favorites is Dijon mustard. Yes, which goes everywhere. Zero fat. Zero fat, but very nice moisture. Because mm-hmm. it, it would stays, help with it the moisture. moisture. Yeah, it stays moist. So you put it into your mixture. You know, you season and then fresh herbs too. You can put some. A little bit of fresh tarragon in there and mix the whole turkey together and make some nice patty, mm-hmm. pan fried, and you can get some nice turkey burger. I think Dijon browns up nicely. So if you do yeah. have Dijon uh, and you're going to pan sear, then you, you might help crusting the turkey burger. Sure. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. A yeah. little crunchiness on yeah. my burger. I love it. Uh, so now we've got our burger settled. It's a cheesy, delicious 
burger with mustard and tarragon. Te- one more apparently. thing, though. I had a gluten-free friend over um, and was making meatballs, of course. Uh, and I usually have some panko or breadcrumbs, but I found a recipe that substituted almond flour. Mm. Yeah. And that added a really nice little nuttiness zing. to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. A little zing and to fat. it. And fat. Mm-hmm. And fat. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. yeah. It was a good... But okay, the burgers are done. Now, what are we doing next? Well, Terry says arugula <laughs> and some. T- t- how do you say tomato? Or, Something uh, like that. Heirloom tomato, which was very sexy. But um, to me, a big <laughs> leaf of lettuce on a burger is not what I want because it it wilts and it gets stringy when you know, like it all comes out in one For bite. Sure, when yeah. Bad. It's like Babe and I. Babe, who owns Red Mill Burgers, we've been arguing about the green leaf she puts on her burger. For the 20 years she's been open. You know, that's why I like the Dicks. They do the shredded lettuce on the burger. Uh, I love Red Mill burgers. I just get mine with no green leaf. But anyway, so... You're such a that's, hater. That's the cool thing about... That's the cool thing about arugula. Arugula is, doesn't melt does, down like that. It, it doesn't. And, and it's small it pieces. it down a little yeah, bit, small it's still very delicious and it stays together. But what I like about arugula is the, the texture of it and the uh, bite yeah. that it has. The, yeah. the piquant bite that it has is a good addition And uh, one thing also on burger that's really good is cornichon. Mm-hmm. Ooh, oh, a little, yes. A little pickle Beautiful on there. Idea. Diced, I mean, a sliced cornichon on top of your burger. Yeah, I've always, I grew up as a bread and butter pickle guy, which was more of a sweet pickle. Yeah. But uh, I, I would say I've transitioned, I've grown uh, up. Yeah. I've transitioned to dills. Dill. The problem with sweet pickle is it's too sweet for me, but I usually keep it for other things, but. I love it on a ham and butter sandwich with Heinz chili sauce and some sweet pickles. Mm. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. See, I'm glad I never was raised on that because I don't have to. I don't miss that. Why are you hating on my mom? I'm not hating on your mom. Just saying. At all. Just saying. I said I was glad I wasn't raised on I it. I love your mom. I love your mom too. <laughs> When we come back, it's time to put Bridget to sleep uh, in our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. And Bridget, because you've fared so poorly the last time, we're going to give you a lifeline with one of our guests here in the in the dining room here. She's shaking her head She's at me right excited. now. She's very excited. I think she just gave me the one-finger salute. Uh, on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Have a turkey burger. It's just like a hamburger. Except people say that it's healthier to go and eat a turkey burger instead of a hamburger. So give it a try. Try one of those turkey burgers instead of a hamburger. It tastes just as great. And they say that it is less likely to cause you to die of a heart attack or something like that. That's a pretty good reason to try a turkey burger. Noodles and butter, noodles and butter, you are my favorite treat. Noodles and butter, there is no other. Welcome back to Food for Thought Tasty Trivia here on the Rub with Love radio show. Actually, the Hot Stove Show brought to you by Rub With Love. Rub With Love uh, is available around the country in stores like Peppercorn in Boulder, Colorado, Cecil's Meats in San Diego, and Jerry's Foods in Minneapolis, along with many, many local stores here in the Seattle area. If you want to be uh, be hip and groovy, go out to Ballard. You can buy it at the Ballard. You can buy all the different stuff we have here at the Hot Stove or down at the Seatown Rub Shack and Fish Fry. Yeah, when Pamela. you're in Ballard, you can go to Yonder Cider. And yeah, you can stop at Yonder, get a little tipsy on, day. on cider, and come buy all of our rubs. 
Tasty trivia today is I'm going easy on you. A lot of them are true or false. Oh, we're loving that. That gives Bridget a 50-50 chance. <laughs> no, at least we are halfway there. I was feeling benevolent last night. You must have been really late. Is all <laughs> I, I could. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't figure out how to do. It. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so each contestant's going to get five questions, and there's going to be a winner. And a loser. <laughs> I love that. And? And for playing, you get to go to our gift shop and pick out three of your favorite uh, rubs that you'd like to try and take them. You, since you are like a seller of Yonder, you have to give your prize to one of our audience members. Are you good with that? Oh, yeah. very oh, nice. Yeah. So, so she'll pick one of you, depending on who's nicest to her, <laughs> to shop in the gift shop for free today for three, three rubs. Uh-oh. Okay. Chef in the hat. Let's do it. This is true or false, but it has a tricky twist. So, so you have maybe. to listen to the whole question. So a chef traditionally wears white because the chef of the first prime minister of France in 1985 believed that white was the most hygienic of colors. It is a trick question because the hygienic part is why it's white. 85 is the wrong date. Yay! Correct! It was in 1815. Exactly. You're brilliant. True or false? Globally, eating bugs is the norm. They are eaten for their high protein, appealing crunchiness, and taste. Is this true or false? The norm? Globally. Yes, it's true. Yes, it's true. (laughs) And it's the future, too. Before cookware emerged uh, approximately 24,000 B.C., what did humans use to carry and store food? Um, like something like argyle or some kind of mud that they would put together and carry Not stuff bad. Yeah. Maybe a point five. I was looking for forage shells or animal parts. Skin. So I was not even close. What do you mean that point? I wasn't even close. Terry was not there. Oh. Uh, true or false? A sharp knife does less damage than a dull knife to the cell walls of an onion, which releases less of the propanthiol S oxide, the chemical that causes eyes to water. <laughs> Everybody together. True. <laughs> and finally, uh, true or false, in 17th century Europe, professional chefs in rich households were mainly men who often worked naked or in undergarments. That is false. <laughs> it is true. No way. <laughs> Why were they naked? Was it story? was hot. It was very hot. In oh, man. All right, three out of five. They must never heard about cooking bacon naked. (laughs) I thought I was the only one doing that. Oh, Oh, Caitlin and Bridget. Oh, no. Well, you're going to start with multiple choice. (laughs) Caitlin, you got a whiff of this? You you good? (laughs) Uh, How many, multiple choice, how many home fires from uh, cooking do United States fire departments respond to in an average year? 10,000. 156,000 or 450,000. We're going to go with the 400,000? It's 156, oh. but it, I, I would think the higher number, too. I was thinking of those Thanksgiving turkeys. Oh, that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. Are the, is the yeah. whale well, situation included? That's usually in that? they're outside. Yeah. Uh, true or false, cod milk, which is the fish sperm, is considered a delicacy around the world. Cod milk. I did not see that coming. <laughs> Whoa! Oh! oh. <laughs> I 
Uh, that was good, Kitten. That was awesome. That's that's a rather general question there around the world. It's a like, yes or no question. Yeah. True or false. True or false. I'm going to throw you under the bus on this one. You get to answer it. <laughs> I true. think she already did. True. True. Oh. true or false. In pre-revolutionary France, bread was associated with national identity. Actually still is. And baking bread was considered a public service to keep the people from rioting. Therefore, the police controlled all aspects of bread making. True. It's in fact true. Of course. Bien sûr. True or false? Researchers have found that food TV has inspired viewers to want to eat more, but not to cook more. Can I speak from personal experience? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to say true. It is true. <laughs> Isn't that food, funny? Food TV may actually discourage people from cooking because it raises expectations so high. Makes sense. <laughs> Makes sense. That's fair. I definitely believe that, yeah. And finally, which can be left out safely for longer, salted or unsalted butter? I'm going to call my lifeline here and say salted. Salted is correct. Yes, there. four out of five. Yeah. Yeah. See? Um, Nice job. That wasn't bad. Hi, Tom. Hi, Pamela. True or false, celebrity chef Gordon Ramsay lost an onion cutting competition. True. Because he's a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) To a prison cook. Yeah, and then Ramsey true. offered the inmate a job at one of his restaurants when yeah, he was absolutely. released. He would have lost to Julia Child, too. <laughs> true. It's true. Correct. The primary difference between herbs and spices is based on what part of the plant they are derived from. The seeds or the plant. The seed or the plant. Which stems from or which? Detail. The spices come from the seed. The herbs come from the plant. The leaves of the, the leaves. plant. Right. Well, in the yep. stems, you eat cilantro Herbs stems. from the leaf of the plant, spices from other parts, roots, seeds, or I'm not bark. sure who your source is, like Wikipedia or something. <laughs> Are we giving him that one? Yes, you okay. get the idea. What do you call a cluster of bananas? Uh, a cluster, uh, uh, we'll say a bunch. Someone in the audience had it? Yep. It's a hand. A hand of bananas. And so uh, at our house in Hawaii, I cut down a hand? Yes. And oh. the single banana is called a finger. I'm, I'm so I was right. <laughs> I'm a cluster. True or false? Fiber is non-digestible plant-derived carbohydrate that includes the storage and cell walls of the plant. You bet. And fiber passes through the human digestive tract, essentially intact, and has little or no caloric value. You bet. You bet. Yes, in fact, it is true. True. And finally, in Japan... Which two seafoods are the most popular pizza toppings? Squid and octopus. Ooh, point five. Eel and squid. Eel and squid. Good wow. Show. Three and a half. That makes uh, Brigitte and Caitlin our winners. Congratulations. Look at Brigitte over there. She's just got that big grin on her face. <laughs> She's coming back next week. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on YouTube Live at Tom Douglas & Co. or buy a ticket to join us here in the studio at HotStoveSociety.com. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Sean McFadden is our technical director. And our extremely talented editor at Cairo is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Remember, if you missed any episode of Hot Stove Society on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Bring me all the pieces and pork chop, baby. Bring me all the pieces and pork chop, baby.